When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Ken Funk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mule. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we have to talk about my top 10, yes we do, the process in Georgia, and chart a path to the college football playoff for the two Power 5 conferences on the bubble. Let's go! It's the number one ranked show. So let's briefly review last week so that I can tell you about this week. In week eight, AP ranked number 18 North Carolina State, number 14 Coastal Carolina, number eight Oklahoma State, and number seven Penn State all caught a loss to an unranked opponent this week. Those were their AP rankings last week. As we get closer to the college football playoff rankings release date next week, I think those losses should matter as much as those suffered earlier in the season by others. While Ohio State looks like it possesses the offense most capable of penetrating the Georgia defense, the Buckeyes lost to Oregon. That also needs to matter, right? And while Oklahoma is 8-0 for the first time since 2004, the Sooners don't look like a team that might challenge in the playoff this season. However, you know I think winning is winning. While I acknowledge group of five programs, San Diego State, Texas, San Antonio, and Southern Methodist, do not look like teams that could beat Alabama, who has a loss. I also picked the Buckeyes to beat the Ducks, the Tide to beat Texas A&M, and Purdue to beat Iowa. All right? Those games were played, and the result was reflected on the scoreboard. The result needs to matter more than my or your opinion, and that is how I create my rankings, using rationality and reason. Shocker there. The first thing that I look for is how many AP Top 25 teams ranked at the time of the matchup a team has beaten. The second thing I look for, a premium is placed on being undefeated. Power 5 teams more than likely play a tougher schedule than group of 5 teams and usually are ranked accordingly. Number three, being undefeated supersedes strength of schedule with the belief that winning every game is more difficult than losing a game to a good football team. And number four, results, resume, and winning matter. When two teams have identical resumes, that's when the eye test becomes necessary. So now we're going to engage in one of my favorite functions, right, which is the blind resume test. A team 
or I should say Team A, is 6-1, and one, okay? Team B is 6-1. and one. Team A has a top 25 win, and Team B does not. However, Team A beat Team B in a head-to-head matchup. But the AP has ranked Team B ahead of Team A. By now, you probably know Team B is Ohio State and Team A is Oregon. The AP ranks Ohio State number five and Oregon number seven. I have a problem with this because it means the majority of AP voters do not believe playing the games matter. Okay, here's another blind resume test. Team C is an 8-0 and Power 5 team with a top 25 win. Team D is a 7-1 and Power 5 team with three top 25 wins. But Team D is ranked ahead of Team C. Team C is Oklahoma. And Team D is Alabama. The AP ranks Alabama number three and Oklahoma number four. I have a problem with this because it means... Winning every game doesn't matter to AP voters, even amongst Power 5 competition. It only matters that one team looks better than the other. And football is not a pageant contest. It's an objective one with a scoreboard. Winning the game has to matter. Otherwise, why are we playing football games at all? All of you real GMs out there. Now, I want to talk about my top 25 teams in the country going into week nine this this week, right? So at number 10, go ahead and get it out of the way, Alabama, Crimson Tide 6-1. and But RJ, Alabama would destroy Southern Methodist, Texas, San Antonio, or San Diego State, who I have listed, right? To this I say, line them up. Let's have our Tahati challenge. Death is the test of it, right? They know I know they beat Tennessee 52-24. to We'll talk about it here in just a second, but... We also need to mention number nine, Texas San Antonio. I have it nine, right? Eight and oh, defeated La Tech. They also beat Illinois. And Illinois beat Penn State. And Penn State beat Auburn. And Auburn beat Arkansas. And Arkansas beat Texas AM. And Texas AM beat Alabama. UTSA is undefeated. Alabama is not. Expand the playoff, you cowards. We'll talk about it. Number eight, I got Southern Methodist. They're seven and oh. They defeated Tulane, 55 26. And then at number seven, I got San Diego State. They're seven and oh. Defeated Air Force, 20 to 14. Now, San Diego State has two wins against Power 5 teams where Southern Methodist has just won against Texas Christian. Of course, UTSA has beaten Illinois. But I want to talk just real quickly about 7-10. to 10. I understand that Nick Saban is the head coach at Alabama. I understand that Bryce Young is a five-star quarterback. I understand Jamison Williams is on another level in the receiving game. I also understand... UTSA is not lost, and San Diego State is off to its best start since like 1975. They have a big game against Fresno State this weekend. They win that huge result in the Mountain West. They probably control their own destiny, not just for the Mountain West Conference title, but also are charging for that New Year's Six birth. And then SMU has been scoring on everybody that they have played. Like they're just putting up numbers. Tanner Mordecai looks the part, right? Grant Calcaterra looks the part. Ulysses Bentley the fourth. Is an awesome name. He also looks the part at running back, and they face a Houston team that has been stingy against the run. But I got to tell you, man, being undefeated has to matter in this sport because it's too hard to win every game for us to treat losing as if it doesn't matter. That's what you're telling me. You're telling me that Alabama 
losing a football game doesn't really upset you. You still think they're really good. For the team that beat them, you got to be like, yo, what, what is this? Especially if you beat them head-to-head, and you also have the same amount of losses as they do, and you have a chance to win a conference title. We'll talk about that here in a second. At number six, I have Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons are 7-0. They defeated Army 70-56. to I also have, you know, this idea in my head that Wake Forest could get to the college football playoff. Now, it's not necessarily... A likelihood, but the way that Sam Hartman is playing, who is the number one ranked show player of the week, had 458 yards passing against Army, had six total touchdowns, five through the air, school record. They're off to their best start since, you know, ever, and they are ranked as high as they've ever been ranked, right? Like, it's their third highest ranking, going back to, like, 1940, like, when we played World War II, or we played World War II, when we fought World War II, goodness me. But the other point here to make is that if Wake Forest runs the table undefeated, and presumably gets a pit in the ACC championship game, who is ranked and is ranked highly after beating Clemson. Nothing like beating Clemson to just help you along in how people view you, even if Clemson ain't that good this year, or at least their offense ain't that good. Defense is still stellar. Wake Forest has a chance to say, hey, we're an undefeated Power 5 team. Every other undefeated Power 5 team with a conference championship has made the playoff. Why shouldn't we? Because we don't think they're very good? Because I got to tell you, if Ohio State runs the table, like many of us think that they will, and ends up winning the conference championship, if Oregon does the same, they're out of luck, man. Because Georgia is a juggernaut. We'll talk about them here in a minute. But I can't look at Wake Forest, who did nothing but win, and say that they're a worse football team than the teams that lost. But this is, this is the path. Wake Forest has to continue to beat out everybody. They got a real tough game, I think against NC State that we're probably going to overlook now that NC State took a loss to Miami, but it shouldn't. And they could give Pitt, who's really great, a run for their money. We'll see how this goes. Especially since I get to talk about, at number five, Michigan Wolverines, who are 7-0, right? They defeated Northwestern 33-7. And then Michigan State at number four, who's also 7-0. They're coming off a bye this week where they get to play Michigan. So we got our four and five matchup right here. And that's the big noon kickoff game. I'd be remiss if I did not say so. Everybody's going to be in East Lansing this weekend. Tuck coming, we think. But for me, what Michigan State and Michigan is about is still Ohio State, right? Because nobody's still going to pick against them to defend their conference title, even if they take a loss at home to Oregon because Oregon ain't in their conference, right? But also because Jim Harbaugh can beat Mel Tucker and be undefeated and get all the way to Thanksgiving And lose to Ohio State, and we'll say the same things we've been saying about Jim Harbaugh, who has never beaten Ohio State as a head coach. Mel Tucker saying the same, quite honestly, right? Now, the difference here is we don't think of Michigan State in the same way that we think of Michigan because the game is the game, right? We also know that Mel Tucker already took that Bunyan Trophy from Harbaugh last year. Or did you forget? Because I didn't, right? So I'm excited about this because you got two teams that want to run the football and play defense. They are complimentary in how they want to do this. You're going to get to see a Heisman candidate in Kenneth Walker III. Perhaps two dudes that would be Heisman candidates if they were getting all of the carries in Blake Corum and Hassan Hoskins on the uh, Michigan offense. But really, I think it's going to come down to quarterback play because neither Peyton Thorne nor Cade McNamara like impress me. But they have an opportunity here. And then, of course, many of y'all know that I think that Dax Hill is one of the great pure football players in the sport today. He's playing safety over at Michigan. And it seemed like 
getting Don Brown up out of there has worked for Michigan. Mike McDonald over there coaching the heck out of that defense. We'll just see how many points are scored. I mean, I don't expect Michigan to put up 30, but I don't expect Michigan State to put up 30. I expect this to be a slog fest in which we might see each team get like eight possessions because they just want to take care of the football in that way. All right. And number three, I have the Oklahoma Sooners, who are 8-0. and They came back to beat Kansas 35-23 in a nail-biter and really a game that was way more intriguing than it should have been. For those of y'all that didn't watch that game because Kansas, Kansas was up 10-0 at halftime, and Kansas became the first team since 2014 Clemson to hold Oklahoma scoreless in the first half, and they did it in a remarkable way, right? They were able to keep the ball out of Oklahoma's hands and to run the ball successfully, which means they were picking up first downs. But Oklahoma scored 35 points in the second half, and people act like that doesn't matter. I don't care if it is Kansas. Scoring 35 points in one half is still very hard to do. It's even harder to do when you know you have to score because that game was 23-21 to 21 late in the fourth, right? And then you get Caleb Williams on his Superman, right? And then you get some, some points to basically give you a cushion at the end, some garbage time there. But that game was much closer than many people like to think. I also think that Oklahoma being 8-0 and a Power 5 team that's also beaten a ranked opponent in Texas – yeah, that needs to matter, right? So I have them at number three. Cincinnati, 7-0. I have them at number two. They beat Navy in really their worst performance of the year, 27-20. Jerome Ford had 15 carries for just 90 yards in this, but the way that I put Cincinnati ahead of Oklahoma here is quite frankly, the resumes are, they, they still don't stack up, right? They both have two top 25 wins, but only one of them has a top 10 win, and it's on the road. That matters. Cincinnati went into top 10 Notre Dame and got a W, right? Oklahoma has yet to play a top 10 opponent, and the way that the schedule's shaping up, they might not. Because with Oklahoma State taking a loss, with Baylor taking a loss, with Iowa State taking losses, you know what it is. But it's still three teams that can very much beat them up. Now, they got a blessing in that Texas Tech decided to fire a head coach who was 5-3, and three ahead of the toughest part of their schedule. They play four ranked opponents to finish the season. And at, at first on the list, after they fire their head coach, is number four in the AP and number three in RJ, Oklahoma. All right? It's not the way that I would draw it up. Texas Tech fans are going, we didn't like the way that we were losing football games. You're five and three. You're also Texas Tech. Sit down somewhere, all right? Oklahoma and Texas are leaving you. You are a group of five conference now in the eyes of people, no matter what we say about Power Five conferences, because Power Five is actually an NCAA designation. It allows you to do some stuff that you can't do if you're a group of five school, quite honestly. But who is going to look at the additions of Central Florida, Brigham Young, and Cincinnati and tell y'all to y'all's face that they respect y'all as much as they respect the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the SEC? No one, all right? Which is why... I need some Big 12 representation in the college football playoff this year. So Cincinnati, stay the course. It's up to you. Otherwise, we're looking at an SEC title game featuring Oklahoma and Georgia in the college football playoff semifinal. Yeah, I said it. Okay, number one, of course, is Georgia. 7-0. Four top 25 wins. Look, man, there's a lot to say about Georgia and what they've been doing. Hence... The monologue, the process for Georgia. Now, I want to start with this. My Heisman candidate so far this year, and I think 
Georgia keep doing what Georgia's doing? Is Jordan Davis, who is a six foot six human being. But let me start with this. On Monday, he looked fresh from class, wearing a black G polo across his chest and camouflage Crocs on his feet. Yet, he is not the man you want to meet over the nose of a football. Again, he is six foot six. He is 340 pounds, and he is the pillar of Coach Kirby Smart defensive foundation. Okay? And he is who Smart will trust to lead the number one ranked dogs against Florida in Jacksonville on Saturday in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I've been loud about the belief that Davis deserves an invitation to the Heisman ceremony at season's end because he's the best player on the best unit in the sport. But he doesn't care for the individual accolades, and most of the kids don't. Davis told media he doesn't even know when the Heisman ceremony is. And he could care less about his stats. The quote that I wrote down was, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we want to do whatever we can to win. It's a good quote. Davis's case for the Heisman is hurt, though, by folks who might vote who aren't actually paying attention to, you know, the game being played and love to stare at a box score. The UGA defense doesn't just use stats made available to the public and media to chart their progress. They've got their own form of accountability. And for a player like Davis, who doesn't see his impact counted as often as others, that matters. Sometimes, even when he makes a play, it can count against him when his coaches grade him out. Davis told media on Monday that he often gets measured individually on each play with a plus if he played the play correctly or a minus if he did not. Quote is, even if you're Jalen, Jalen Carter, or me, or Devontae, Devontae Wyatt, if we make a tackle for loss and we're out of our gap, that's a minus. Such is the demand for following the scheme at UGA that has helped make this defense the best unit on either side of the football this season. Among the items measured for the dogs to believe that they've succeeded is holding teams to 13 points or fewer, and it's done just that. In a 106 third down attempts against it, the Pentagon, my nickname for the Georgia defense, has allowed just 33 conversions, that's 31.1%, and ranks number 15 in the country in that metric. The defense has allowed fewer touchdowns, four, than games played, seven. UGA has given up just 26 points to ranked opponents this season and faced four so far. The UGA defense is one of the best scoring defenses of the last 30 years. They also measure how many explosive plays they allow, and it's really not that many. They're holding opponents to just 3.4 yards per play. That's the best mark in FBS and nearly a full yard per play better than Cincinnati, at 4.1, it's 1.2 yards per play better than Ohio State at 4.6, and that's 2.5 yards per play better than Oklahoma, who's allowing 6.1 yards per clip, all of whom have aspirations of playing in the college football playoffs. Still, Florida is one of the best teams in the country at breaking off explosive plays and averages 7 yards per play. That's a gaudy number. This, while the offense at Georgia ranks ninth, though, in yards per play at 6.7. For perspective, 
Alabama's offense picks up 6.6 yards per play, just like Oklahoma's. Davis said, quote, we have a chart for pretty much everything, and we're always repping Havoc. I know Havoc was a theme from last year, but that kind of plays into our elite theme this year and leading the league in defense, end quote. Watching Georgia play defense is inspiring because it demands such concentration. Football is tilted to favor the offense. It's not just that the offense has the ball. It's that the offense, like white pieces on a chessboard, has the benefit of moving first. The offense dictates the terms the game will be played on, unless it makes a mistake. And Georgia has been exceedingly good at taking advantage of its opponent's blunders and allowing only what it must. Georgia is doing what other teams have tried to do, but better. An example of a team trying to, and failing, I should say, is 1-6 Kansas in its bid to knock off 8-0 Oklahoma. Watching Kansas hold Oklahoma scoreless, I could not help but marvel at how Kansas coach Lance Leipold had given in to the mystery of life. How he chose not to fight the process, but to join it. They ate up the clock and limited OU's possessions in the first half before the Sooners rattled off 35 in a comeback win. But you could see KU and the process at work. Leipold knew OU wanted to score and score as often as possible, but it's difficult to score if you don't have the ball. The process for the Jayhawk defense was to bend by keeping plays in front of them, but not to break and giving up big plays and TDs. When the Sooners had the ball, KU wanted to force them to use at least three downs to get a first down and allow them to make mistakes that might result in turnovers or punts. When KU had the ball, they tried to run it and pick up methodical first downs themselves to eat up time of possession, sustain long drives, and score points. In the first half, that worked. KU became the first program to hold OU scoreless in the first half since 2014 Clemson, as I mentioned earlier. Perhaps the biggest difference is UGA's players are just better than KU's players, but the process for winning is the same, and the process needs to be respected. In Dune, great novel, great movie, as at Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban in charge, the process is sacred. It cannot be cheated, and it is not a problem to be solved, but to be experienced. Quote, a process cannot be understood by stopping it. Understanding what must move with the flow of the process must join it, and you must flow with it. As Paul Atreides reciting the first law of Mentat, stay woke fam, if a team is to topple Georgia, the process must be adhered to, and the tremendous talents of youths, not unlike 15-year-old Paul Atreides, who was called to lead the Fremen in a holy war in his father's name, it's striking to me to think the teams with the best chance to beat Georgia all probably depend on youth too. Redshirt freshman Anthony Richardson will likely get a chance to run the offense, if not start, against Georgia this Saturday. In the postseason, Georgia presumably could face Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, a redshirt freshman, or Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, a redshirt freshman, or Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams, who is the only true freshman leading the undefeated Power 5 team this season, or have you noticed? The UGA offense does not look like the kind 
that can win a shootout against an explosive and talented offense on the opposing sideline. And while the UGA defense is good, all it takes is a couple explosive plays for TDs to unlock it and put pressure on the UGA offense to score. Still, what a year this could be for UGA, who hasn't won a national title in 41 years and is enjoying its best season since 2017. A worthy challenger might well appear. Perhaps, though, this year, Kirby Smart fulfills his destiny at Georgia as Lisan Al-Gaib, Quitsat Haralek, Mahdi the Muadib, or, you know, what we might call a national champion. All right, so Mike Tomlin said never today. There's context here. Uh, earlier today, Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin was asked about his interest in the opening at USC, and he went full sweet brown. Guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? <laughs> all right. So, first of all, Carson Palmer, who got up on the DP show and says, hey, look. I think that Mike Tomlin would be a great fit at USC. I winced because I knew that this was coming. I knew that this was coming because Mike Tomlin has a point. Why didn't you say Pete Carroll? Huh? He's coached at USC. He's won national championships. He's an NFL head coach. He's won a Super Bowl. Hell, you can pull out some names there. But no, you went straight to Mike Tomlin, which is really talking about a subject that I'm passionate about. There need to be more NFL head coaches who are black, there need to be more college football coaches who are black. They are there. I don't understand why people continue to try to give Eric Bieniemy a college job when he has won a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. Matt Nagy got an NFL coaching job, right? Y'all already talking about him and what he's not doing with Justin Fields. Byron Leftwich won an NFL Super Bowl with Tom Brady in his 40th year. At quarterback, right? Why doesn't he have an NFL head coaching job? All right? Todd Bowles needs another opportunity. And more than that, there are dudes all up and down this sport that I, and you, by the way, claim to love who are fits at USC. We've talked about James Franklin over here. We've talked about Marcus Freeman over here. We've talked about Mel Tucker over here. We've talked about Dabo Sweeney over here for the LSU job, not for the USC job, because I think that's just a bridge too far. But that's the point, okay? When I put out one of these lists that I get much maligned for, I put a lot of thought into them, right? And some of these things have to do with who is available, what are their qualifications, and why would I ever want an NFL head coach to be the coach of my college football team? It's a totally different skill set. Ed Orgeron won a national championship at LSU because he could recruit. In the NFL, you are grinding film. 
You don't have to worry about recruiting. You draft people. You sign them to contracts. They show up to work. I don't get it. And I commend Mike Tomlin for not just being sound and saying never. And also for saying, show me the blank check. Because I submit to you, you would have to turn over that entire endowment at USC just to get that man to listen to what you had to say. And then he would still probably tell you to take a hike. Because he's just the third head coach at an organization that don't fire anybody. It's one of the best jobs in all the sports to be the head coach at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why would I want to take on the trash fire that has turned into USC football? If I won you a Pac-12 championship, you would spit in my face. Or you would fire me like you did Clay Helton, right? Who I thought had a shot here. I'm saying... I can win national championships at USC and still not be the biggest thing in Los Angeles. Why would I want that job when I'm the biggest thing in Pittsburgh, full stop? And you know what? I'm really good at my job. That's our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. That's Niles Owens running the stream. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan, and our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. That is it for me. Deuces.